A Republican group that opposes Donald Trump has unveiled an advertising campaign targeted to voters in early primary states featuring voters who supported him in the past two presidential elections, but have now turned against him in an effort to put questions of electability at the center of the GOP primary race. A portion of the Republican Party, perhaps 30 percent, supports the former president, but worries he cannot win the White House. Now, this is according to Sarah Longwell, the group's executive director. Speaker Kevin McCarthy is under pressure from the hard right to take aggressive steps against the Biden administration. Uh, He suggested yesterday that the House was moving toward opening an impeachment inquiry against President Biden as Republicans searched through bank records hunting for damaging information about the first family. A deal for Hunter Biden to plead guilty to a pair of misdemeanor tax charges while avoiding prosecution on a gun charge hit a last minute snag with the judge in the case unexpectedly putting off her decision. The federal judge overseeing the case deferred a decision on approving the deal between Biden, Mr. Biden, Mr. Hunter Biden and federal prosecutes this afternoon. The latest twist in a politically charged case that seemed to have been sewn up just hours earlier. Rudolph Giuliani has admitted that while acting as a lawyer for former President Donald Trump, He made false statements in asserting that two Georgia election workers had mishandled ballots while counting votes in Atlanta during the 2020 election. The admission by Mr. Giuliani came in court papers filed yesterday night as a part of a civil defamation lawsuit that the two workers, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, brought against him in a federal district court in Washington, D.C. in December of 2021. Well, the Republican Party has moved further to the right, and the fringe, as a result, has become the mainstream, swelling the ranks of the Freedom Caucus, but making it difficult for the group to stay aligned on policy and strategy. The rise of another hard-right faction in the House calling itself the 20 including some members of the caucus and some who have long refused to join, has raised questions in recent months about where the real power lies on the far right. A coalition of booksellers and publishers filed a lawsuit yesterday uh, in Texas or against Texas seeking to block a recently passed law that would keep books deemed, quote, sexually explicit, quote, out of schools. The law, which is scheduled to take effect on September 1st, would require vendors to rate and evaluate books they sell or have previously sold to schools based on their depictions or portrayals of sexual conduct. Now, insufficient compliance from booksellers would bar them from doing business with public schools and subject them to open censure. Uh, In the complaint, the plaintiffs said that legislators have expressed concern during debate that the sweeping language of this law could ban access to classics such as Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And conservatives are changing K-12 education and one Christian college is at the center. Republican officials are turning to Hillsdale College in Michigan for teacher training, textbook reviews, and a curriculum that celebrates American patriotism. 
Hillsdale, which has fewer than 1,700 students, but a $900 million endowment, gives out many of its resources for free. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In this hour, two of my regular superstar contributors are joining me. Dr. Michael Fontroy, who's a professor of policy and government at George Mason University, is here. And also Katrina Robinson. She is a consultant and former Tennessee state senator. And in hour two, we go deeper and bring you the news behind the headlines with newsmakers, thought leaders, people impacted by the news, and the nation's leading experts. Today, in hour two, we're going behind the headlines and talking to a Florida state representative that has firsthand knowledge about how Florida's education department developed its new curriculum on slavery, particularly that part of the curriculum that says uh, that somehow slavery benefited the enslaved. We're going to talk to that state representative. Also, we're going to have a history professor, African-American history professor, who gave a very compelling TED talk and said that white people, not just black people, but that white people should care about the whitewashing of black history. That's all coming up in hour two, so make sure you stick around. But before I bring on my guests, here's what I'm thinking in real time. This uh, policy decision by the Florida State Education Department has everybody, as it should, up in arms. Uh, a spokesperson for that education department released a statement from two of the people who helped develop this curriculum, uh, these concepts about slavery, that are, as we all know, a distortion of the reality of slavery's brutality. Now, in this statement, these two individuals insisted that some slaves developed highly specialized trades from which they benefited. And they go on to say it included trades like shoemaking or tailoring. And they tried to identify well-known as well as anonymous figures as examples. So uh, in doing this, let's talk about some of these examples they gave. Uh, some of the folks they identified were Ned Cobb. Uh, Ned Cobb was born after slavery ended. Now, this was supposed to be an example of someone who benefited from uh, a skill learned during slavery. And of course, not surprisingly, Ned Cobb wasn't even born until after slavery. They identify someone named Louis Latimer. Mr. Latimer was never enslaved. They also identified James Fortin. Mr. Fortin was born free. They identified Booker T. Washington. Mr. Washington was born an enslaved person, but only learned to read after he was free. And this is kind of how this list goes on. With people identified as so-called examples of slaves that benefited from slavery, and the list itself is full with people, many of whom weren't born into slavery, many of whom were born after slavery. And in the case of Booker T. Washington, whatever skills he learned, he learned after he was free. So it just goes to show you how sloppy, how irresponsible uh, the uh, individuals involved in this you know, educational policy, this curriculum change. Uh, it's very clear that some of the 
so-called slaves who developed skills, according to this education board, uh, often turned out not to have been enslaved or have developed skills at all during enslavement. So, you know, that's problem number one with the argument that these educators, so-called educators, are making. Uh, The other problem with the theory that slaves learned skills that could help them later in life is that not all enslaved people were freed. So they're creating this historical fiction where you're working as a slave, uh, and I'm using the word working in a very broad sense, but you're being forced to work for free. You're being brutalized. And according to Florida, you're learning some skill and that there's this magical day when you're now free, where you get to use the skill for your own benefit. So, you know, you learned how to be a tailor while you were a slave and you become free. And now you get to go out and make clothes and sell them on the free marketplace because you've learned this great skill uh, while you were enslaved. But uh, the problem is, being enslaved was not a temporary condition. So it wasn't like you were in a job training program or you were in college for four years and it was a temporary situation and it was going to end on some set and finite date. Uh, The reality is uh, a lot of folks that were enslaved were enslaved until they died. So see, it wasn't a life of involuntary enslavement. Uh, you know, enslavement often ended only, well, I'm, I'm sorry, it was a life of involuntary servitude and enslavement often ended only when the enslaved person died. So they didn't get to leave slavery and, and go off, you know, go out into the world and use these so-called skills. And finally, you know, I, I would think It would go without saying, but we need to say it and we need to say it loud and louder for the people in the back of the room that this distortion of slavery whitewashes the brutality that occurred when families were separated by being sold off. Uh, It whitewashes the brutality of the, the violence, the rapes you know, on all of the crimes that were committed against people who were enslaved, African people who were enslaved. It whitewashes uh, the brutality of the relationship, the the way that slaves were considered as less than human, the inhumanity of slavery, and this so-called notion that these slaves were in some kind of job training program, like they were off at the job core, and they were going to leave and come back with some kind of diploma or certification and go out and make a living for themselves, whitewashes Reconstruction, whitewashes the Jim Crow era, and lastly but not least, whitewashes the resulting long-term trauma that slaves experience and that generations of descendants of slaves continue to experience uh, in this very moment. Uh, We're going to talk more in hour two about this really, really offensive uh, policy by the Florida State Department of Education. I think Vice President Harris put it best during her fiery speech in Jacksonville, Florida, when she said, Today, 
there are those in our nation who would prefer to erase or even rewrite the ugly parts of our past. Those who attempt to teach that enslaved people benefited from slavery. Uh, the VP went on to say, those who insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, who try to divide our nation with unnecessary debates, let us not be seduced into believing that somehow we will be better if we forget. We will be better if we remember, the vice president said, and she ended by saying, we will be stronger if we remember. When we come forward, more of today's breaking and trending news and my expert contributors right here on KBLA Talk 15. We are back, and this is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. In this hour, we are tracking and breaking down for you today's uh, trending news, and my expert contributors are going to help you make sense of everything that's happening in the world today. Dr. Michael Fontroy, professor at George Mason University, is here, and Katrina Robinson, a consultant and former Tennessee state senator, joins me in this hour. So, Professor Fontroy, I want to ask you, were you familiar with this uh, Christian college, Hillsdale College in Michigan? I know I wasn't, and I was shocked. I shouldn't say I was shocked. Because we know the Republicans often are very methodical in the way that they advance their agenda. But here's this little small Christian college in Michigan, only 1,700 students or less, is developing this curriculum around, uh, you know, rewriting, I should say, America's true origin story. And now making the curriculum that they have developed that teaches American patriotism and teaches kids, that they should love America, that America's perfect, uh, they're offering this to K-12 schools around the country. And some of the individuals involved with Hillsdale are actually consulting in Florida. They've been put on commissions in Florida. And now they're going into these ruby red states telling these governors and these education departments, we can help transform your curriculum so that we're teaching kids, uh, you know, this propaganda, I'm going to call it propaganda about America's uh, origin story. How scary is this? Yeah, so Hillsdale College is one of a handful of institutions of, of higher education, often religiously focused, that are sort of the tip of the spear of the so-called intellectual uh, conservative movement in America. And they've, they've merged the sort of theory around conservatism with a real activism to try to get their point of view at the forefront of every school in America. Liberty University, Bob Jones University, Patrick Henry College. There are a number of schools like that around the country that are participating in this uh, because they understand that they can impact what's taught in schools and they can impact uh, how people see the world. And, Absolutely. and it's, uh, it, it's fundamentally perverse, in my view, in part because it gets away from something I think we really need more of in America, and that is a real 360-degree perspective on American history, or world history for that matter. We need to see it in all of its dimensions, not just the ones that make us feel good. So if we're talking, we're, we're talking about it, of course, through the context of Black people and through the lens of how it impacts Black people. But if you're com coming through school in the United States these days, and you don't know the truth about slavery 
or the Trail of Tears or Japanese internment or Rosewood or Tulsa or so many of the other parts of America that the Hillsdale and Florida people would like for us to not know about, then really the only people that are being damaged are those who are not receiving the information. You know, we are competing in a global marketplace and as somebody who just came back from an overseas vacation, I can tell you that people around the world that know more about us than many of us do. And that makes us vulnerable. And I think what we're seeing in Florida, what we're seeing out of Hillsdale and so many other places around the country uh, with respect to DEI pushback and all of that, I think it only damages the country, not just the Black people whose stories are not being honored, but also white folks who are walking around blissfully ignorant about what the truth really is. Yeah. And uh, Katrina, so, you know, again, Florida and Texas seem to be at the center of stories lately as they have been in the news because they are really trying to reshape public education. The whole K-12 education process is is under review and is being transformed. So you have uh, Florida, you know, the anti-woke laws that were passed by or signed into law by DeSantis in Florida. Then you have Abbott. So Abbott's in Texas, who's now being sued uh, by a coalition of booksellers and publishers because of a law that will go into effect on September 1st in Texas that uh, basically prohibits these vendors from selling books uh, that have what he deems sexually explicit uh, you know, content. And that term is so broad and so ambiguous that it could result in, of course, the chilling of free speech, First Amendment rights, and Black books from being sold to schools, even like Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and some say even the Bible, because the Bible, in theory, has some sexually explicit stories in it. And, and I, I saw Abbott make a comment, or he's quoted as saying, he wants to keep this junk, this filth out of public schools. So here you have this man in his own mind and his own definition of, of what is junk or filth making these kinds of decisions that do impact our students. And, and you're in a conservative state. You're in Tennessee. Are, are you seeing these same efforts to remake K-12 education, K-12 education happening? Is that is it also happening in Tennessee? Uh, it's, it's absolutely happening in Tennessee, Reva. Uh, this has been a long-standing uh, move on the Republican Party and, and basically the conservatives to remove the truth from schools, whether it's uh, talking about Black history, whether it's sex education. They want to completely whitewash our children's education and hide the truth of America from generations to come, which is already a problem because I feel like this generation is a little bit disconnected from reality as it is. So when I was in the state Senate, I ran a bill that uh, introduced the opportunity for us to uh, bring Black history as a requirement for children to be able to graduate from high school. It was immediately shut down because they wanted to implement critical race theory uh, into our public schools. With Hillsdale's um, uh, curriculum, I think it's called the 1776 curriculum, but they've already implemented it in the charter schools that they oversee. So I think it's there. What happens in these situations, like California used to be the leading state when it came to K to K-12 education. Now everybody follows what Texas and Florida do in conservative states. So whatever Texas does, Tennessee does. We've seen it over and over again. But I think it's going to be a real problem 
in the end when there is no education, whether it's for sex ed, how that impacts our, our generations to come, whether they know what to do about their bodies, or uh, even if they know just what a regular relationship is between a boy and a girl. I mean, we're, we're getting to the point now where we can't teach our children anything. Anything that needs to be taught to our children to live a life has to be taught at home. You know, it's so funny that you bring that up because, or that you say that about, you know, how it's impacting. Uh, Professor, I was talking to a young man who has a four-year-old daughter and I asked him, had he taken his daughter to see Barbie, the movie? And he says, oh no. He says, you know, I, I, it, it wouldn't be appropriate. They put those transgenders, his words, not mine, in the movie. And I don't want her to see that. So, you know, we may think that these are just theoretical things that are happening at a high level. But the education and the pushback on educating kids about same-sex marriages or about you know, transgender people, it, it really is filtering down to everyday people and, and causing people to make decisions. And I haven't seen the movie Barbie myself either. Maybe it's not appropriate for a four-year-old. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I, I was stunned by his comment about they're putting those transgender or they put those transgenders uh, in the movie. And that was his reason for not wanting his four-year-old to see the movie. Yeah, that, that that's problematic on a number of levels. Uh, I, I I want to mention, though, something picking up on what Katrina said, because I really do think this is something that, that our listeners need to know. So every history book that's, that's sold in public school systems across the country has some similarities and some differences. And those similarities are driven by the states that buy the most of those books. So the mm -hmm. publishers have to respond to California, Texas, New York. Florida has examples. Mm -hmm. So if Texas and Florida get together and say to the publishers, we're not buying books that emphasize this and we want you to de-emphasize that, then that's not, not just something that goes to Texas and Florida schools because most school systems around the country will just buy similar books. So mm -hmm. Katrina's point, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, South Carolina, Georgia, on and on, those states all reading books that are driven by what the politics are in Texas and Florida, which is why California is so important in terms of balancing that. And uh, and so I'm hopeful that these publishers will be very aggressive with with the schools with the states on this matter, because if you can control things in the name of sex education, then you can certainly do that for other reasons. And so I think you know we ha we have to be vigilant and keep an eye on what's going on in that regard. Well, I'm glad to see consistent. Thank you for sharing how school districts purchase books. That's really important. And that's why this coalition of booksellers and publishers have sued Texas uh, saying that this this new law that comes into effect on September 1st that, you know, seeks to ban books that have content that's deemed sexually explicit is so problematic because the, the phrase itself, sexually explicit, you know, is ambiguous and could, again, result in the banning of concepts and books that have been considered classics like Shakespeare's, uh, you know, classics and really, really, uh, you know, cause our students to have, you know, an educational experience that is less than stellar and less obviously than, you know, what uh, students around the world have. When we come forward, I want to talk about the potential elimination of legacy admissions at places like Harvard, uh, the Republican Party moving further to the right, and the possibility that the Republicans try to impeach Joe Biden. 
Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we are tracking today's breaking news with Dr. Michael Fontroy, a professor at George Mason University, and Katrina Robinson, a former Tennessee state senator. And in hour two, uh, Florida State Representative will join us to give us a firsthand uh look at how Florida's education department developed its controversial curriculum on how slavery will be taught uh, to students in its school system. And also a history of African-American studies will join us an hour or two to talk about why it's important, not only for Black folks, but for white folks to be concerned about these efforts across the nation to whitewash Black history. Uh, Dr. Fontroy, uh, we're going to talk about Harvard and, you know, this open investigation regarding its legacy admissions policies. But I just got a, a ping on my phone about Senator Tim Scott. He's the senator from South Carolina that yeah. is running for president. Uh, Republican, you're trying to beat Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis to become the Republican nominee for president. This some new polling out suggests that he is emerging as a strong contender, that he's ranking third in the crowded field behind Trump and DeSantis. And if anything happens to either of those front runners, and we know DeSantis is, is, you know, running into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, including having to cut one third of his staff. And uh, a lot of his donors are saying they're sick of the the mistakes and mishaps and they're not going to continue to donate. And and I had a congressman from California, Ro Connell, on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Donald Trump and Tim Scott, in his opinion, would be a very, very formidable pair to uh, beat if they were running as you know, on the same ticket for president. And obviously Tim Scott on that ticket would be vice president. What do you make of these uh, surges? And and let's be clear, they're they're not Scott, uh, Tim Scott, nor Ron DeSantis or in the double digits, but he is apparently picking up steam and could be uh, there in case Trump falls or DeSantis falls or could be picked up by Trump as a VP candidate. So Senator Tim Scott, uh, conservative from South Carolina, and the polling I've seen, and I haven't seen the poll to which you refer, is still polling in the mid-single digits. So he's not much of a threat at this point. He is somebody that you have to keep an eye on, though, in part because uh, Ron DeSantis has been such a terrible candidate that there really is yet to be a serious alternative to Donald Trump to, to emerge and potentially be a threat. Uh, so, so somebody has to to emerge at some point, and it could be Tim Scott just as easy as it could be uh, Nikki Haley or Chris Christie or uh, almost anybody except Mike Pence. I don't think he has a chance at all. So, so yeah, Tim Scott is an interesting person to keep an eye on. You know, he, he um, he's got some explaining to do uh, <laughs> because he's not much of he he doesn't have much of a legislative record. And while he talks about some things that that sound pretty good on the margins, the truth is he doesn't he hasn't really done very much in the Senate to validate it. But at the same time, I have to confess, you know, following the election of Donald Trump, I think it's clear that Americans don't really look to qualifications for a candidate anymore. So, yeah, I um, think your personality and popularity, uh, Katrina, are far more important than your record, uh, you know, your voting record or your legislative record. And I I opened the show with this 
uh, group that's led by Sarah Longwell saying that they are targeting ads to uh, early voters in the Republican primaries, trying to convince them that Donald Trump is not their guy, because even if he makes it through the Republican primaries, these ads are telling Republican voters he's not electable in the general election. And according to Sarah Longwell, they are in search. The Republican Party is in search of someone who is electable. Uh, might Tim Scott be their person? Talking, I mean, Tim Scott is not going to be their person. Um, you have to look at it from just the, the real perspective. Tim Scott is not a viable candidate to the Republican um, to the Republican Party. He's just not. Now, I think the poll that you're talking about may have been in Iowa. I think he's maybe five points behind DeSantis. He's finally, um, uh, to Professor Fontenoy's point, he's finally made it out of the single digits to 11 percent. But he's not going to be their their support person. You know, you have these. Past you sound pretty confident, Katrina. Why are you saying with such confidence that Tim Scott is not going to be their person? <laughs> Here's what on KBLA, I think I can say it. Tim Scott is a black man, okay? Tim Scott is a black man. And though he is a Republican, you still have very staunch Republicans who will let racism, will let racism trump their political views. So I don't think Tim Scott is going to be their front runner at any point. And, and him as a candidate, I don't see him accepting um, the VP bid. I, I really don't see it happening. The Republicans have one choice, either, either they're going to support Trump and get him over the hump, which is is seemingly impossible, or they're going to support DeSantis. It's one or the other. It has to be the person who can win in in the general election. So I, I'm with you on not likely that Tim Scott emerges as the front runner or the nominee for the Republican Party. Yes, those Southern and not even just Southern, you know, white Republican, conservative, racist, not all, but those in the party that are, I don't see them making Tim Scott their guy. But uh, Professor Fonroy, could you? I, I think I could see Donald Trump picking Tim Scott if he thought that that would be uh, a way to attract independence. If he thought that he could peel off some portion of Black Democratic voters or Black independent voters, uh, and he could match a Black man with Kamala Harris, a Black woman, I could see Donald Trump selecting Tim Scott. Oh, it's 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 this perfect kind of cynical politics that he uh, that he specializes in. Imagine a candidate who won the presidency in part because of uh, a rise to prominence over the racist birther movement that he uh, led, then turning around and using a black man to help uh, solidify his own aspirations. I could see it happening, but I do think that there is a fundamental problem that Katrina spoke to. The modern Republican Party is built in large measure on support from racists. Not all. We understand that. Right. Uh, I, but but the truth is, uh, you know, while not all Republicans are racist, all of the racists in America that are voting seem to be voting Republican. <laughs> right. And so uh, I think when you when you look at it through that lens, it's difficult to see a scenario in which Tim Scott it, it is is acceptable. See, I don't I can know, because here's what I'm thinking. They want power, obviously. That, that the whole Donald Trump, you know, re, running for president is about one protecting his butt in these legal cases that he's facing. So you know, become president so he can pardon himself in these federal cases, not the state ones, but power. And you know, think about Clarence Thomas. 
Clarence Thomas is on that Supreme Court to carry out the policy initiatives, the policy goals of the Republican Party, the conservative Republican Party. So if I think they could hold their nose and vote for Donald Trump because they know that that Tim Scott wouldn't have any real power, that, you know, all the shots would be called by Donald Trump. So he would just be, you know, a, a shadow. He would just be a figurehead. He would just be there for window dressing. And I, I think Donald Trump could convince them, look, this is the guy, you know, we get to say as a Republican Party, we're not racist, right? Because here's our guy. I picked a black guy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to be the guy, the, the president that makes the first black man a VP. I, I think that Donald Trump, as you said, in his cynical, sick mind, uh, would do something like that. And I think he could sell it to the party because at this point he sells all kinds of, you know, crap to the party. They're buying that a twice impeached, federally indicted defendant should be the president of the United States. So it's not a far stretch to say that that individual bringing along a black man who will be powerless, but who will carry out the agenda in the same way that Clarence Thomas has, uh, could be a good thing for the ticket. So I, I won't count Tim Scott out, and particularly if he's able to you know, run a close third, because that means he has appeal to voters. And that's also what you know, could be a contributing factor. When we come forward, got to talk about Harvard uh, being challenged on its legacy admissions and what it would mean if elite institutions like Harvard uh, no longer were able to uh, admit the children of their wealthy donors. How would that change higher education in the U.S.? Stay with us, KBLA Talk 158. Okay, Professor Fontroy, help us uh, imagine what, higher education would look like, particularly at elite colleges like Harvard, uh, if they are prohibited from using legacy admissions as a way of filling their classes. Uh, Harvard is facing a federal civil rights inquiry over its legacy admissions uh, policies and practices. Uh, they've been challenged on this practice before. They've resisted any efforts uh, to force them to change it, saying that this is the way that they, you know, uh, cultivate their donors, relationships with their alumni, how they keep their alumni in the fold. They have all of these reasons why legacy admissions uh, benefit the college. But after the Supreme Court struck down the use of race-based affirmative action in college admissions, civil rights organizations are going after legacy admissions. Well, I think legacy admissions are a real problem when those students who are admitted don't meet the same standards as everybody else or aren't in the same sort of general ballpark. It's a real problem. Uh, and now, having said all that, legacy admissions are a reality at colleges and universities all across the country. You know, they're multi-generational families at most colleges and universities around the country. And that, too, is a form of legacy admissions. But here's the issue. Um, there are limited seats at all of these so-called prestigious institutions. You know, if you got a school that has 8,000 students, that's roughly 2,000 seats a year. And they're just, they're, you know, you got tons of applications. You got to sort of whittle it down one way or another. And schools always rely on legacy in part because that multi-generational story is so easy to tell and it's so easy to sell and it helps schools generate more revenue. 
is problematic for people that don't have access to that. And, and that's where civil rights organizations are rightfully stepping in on this. But Ariva, I got to tell you, it's almost impossible to enforce. Mm. I, you know, are you, go- are you going to just say that uh, a- an applicant, that a student can't apply to an institution that their parent attended? How do you enforce that, right? We've talked before about great ideas that aren't enforceable or aren't easily enforced. So my concern is that while I think legacy admissions are problematic, Jared Kushner, for example, <laughs> right? Donald Trump Jr., for yes, example. absolutely. I, I, I am definitely concerned that in the name of going after something that's, that's fair and legitimate to go after, that in the end, it's not really the panacea that we think it's going to be. It's not like all of a sudden there'll be a few hundred extra seats available in schools for black and brown kids to maybe get to. Because again, if you got an institution that admits four, six, eight, 10% of the applications and they have, you know, 50,000 uh, applications a year, then how can you de- determine or prove that somebody got in on legacy when they may have gotten in for other reasons? It's, yeah, it's a very you. difficult knot. And, and I'm not I, sure how to deal with it. And obviously these private institutions uh, have a vested interest in maintaining legacy admissions because it is the way that they, you know, bring in millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into their schools and the way that they fund, you know, big research projects, big buildings, their sports programs and, and so many other uh, programs, you know, how they have these billion dollar endowments, multi-billion dollar endowments. But uh, I'm just happy that at least these legacy admissions are being uh, examined. They're being put on blast. That's what uh, I want. Folks are yeah. being exposed to them because a lot of people don't know. They see folks like Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and assume that they're smarter, that they were better qualified and that they somehow, you know, earn the right to be there. And we know it makes a lot of students feel inferior. It makes them feel, uh, you know, less than if they don't belong on these campuses. Uh, And I I just think, you know, let's just put it all out there so everybody will know that a huge percentage of the white students accepted into these institutions are there because their parents have given money or because they are friends with someone that gives money or the parents have some kind of high profile position in government or or corporations or or something. Uh, We just need to, to let everybody know that Oftentimes, the student you're sitting next to is there not because they're smarter than you, you know, black student or brown student or Asian student, but they are there because of some of the same, you know, policies, racism, institutional racism, systemic racism uh, that, you know, is is so pervasive in this country. So you're right. Maybe hard to uh, enforce. The Justice Department may not be able to do anything with it, but the investigation and the pressure, because we have seen colleges like Wesleyan. Uh, let me just throw that back at you, Professor. So Wesleyan said they're going to end theirs. So what about those colleges that are stepping up and saying, yeah, we don't even like the optics. We don't we don't want to be associated with the optics of you know giving preferential treatment to wealthy white kids. So obviously they're going to figure out or they have already figured out a way to do this. What about those schools? So Ariva, I clap it up for them, but saying that they're not going to give a preference to legacy doesn't mean they're not going to take the sons and daughters of alums. Those are two different things. And I don't, I, I just, I just think that the legacy admissions piece and also the benefit that comes from relative wealth 
when you go to schools that are, have the AP courses that you need to get ahead or that you're able to have the summer experiences that look better on your college application than, uh, than, than, than poor kids do. I mean, the, the, the admissions process is about legacy. It's about relative wealth. It's about where you went to school. It's about networking. It's about a variety of things. And, and what I'm hoping is that we don't get so focused on legacy admissions that we forget about that other stuff, which in some respects is even more pervasive. Absolutely. We're going to follow that, obviously, and see what happens with that investigation. But shifting gears real quickly, Katrina, uh, Kevin McCarthy originally said he was not going to go down this rabbit hole of trying to impeach Joe Biden. He says it was going to be a waste of time. It could backfire. But he is getting so much pressure from the extreme right uh, in his party. And we know how he got to be the speaker. Uh, He's hanging by a thread. And if he makes a move that the extreme right doesn't support or agree with, he could easily be unseated. Uh, so now they, they being the Republican Party, are searching through bank records and documents. They're, they are in search of damaging information to support whatever, the, you know, the, the so-called impeachment effort that he now says, you know, he's more inclined to consider how dangerous might it be for the Republican Party coming up on 2024 if they do waste the American people's money and time by impeaching Joe Biden, knowing that it's going nowhere in the Senate and probably doesn't even have the votes in the House. I think the Republican Party is in in big danger if they go down that road, because, I mean, they're already at a point where Republicans are fed up with Republicans. You can you can smell the division in their party. And McCarthy has, you know, two choices. Either he can expunge Trump's two impeachments or he can make impeachment inquiry for, for Biden. And which one's the easiest road to do just to, to bring forth the optics that make it seem like the Republican Party is in support of uh domination. And, and so for McCarthy, he's in a he's in a pre- peculiar situation but I really don't see him going all the way. Um, You know, we're at a point now where we're pulling out all stops because Republicans are desperate. They're desperate to uh, gain back the support that they've lost uh, in some of the other haphazard things that they've done along the way. And then Trump is still their front runner and they're not really easy. um, Sorry, they're not really um, finding any comfort in his front running because there are so many people who are up in in the air. I think we were talking about the um, Republican accountability um, pact, the ones that are running the ads against Trump. You know, it used to be that we were using those ads to to bring over our swing voters or our independent voters. Now they're actually going, going for people who voted for Trump before and saying, hey, do you think it's a good idea? And I think McCarthy's in a peculiar situation just because of that, because they have so many people who are up in the air about whether they even align with the Republican Party anymore. Yeah, real quickly, uh, Professor Fontroy, obviously this is playing with fire by the Republicans to even talk about an impeachment, given that Joe Biden hasn't done anything that's impeachable. But they want to take the spotlight off of Trump and all of his legal issues and this pending federal indictment that we're on indictment watch for related to January 6th. Uh, You think uh, McCarthy pulls the trigger or he continues to resist those impulses of uh, those on the right? I think the, 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 the answer to that will depend on how much the economy continues to improve. I actually think this is about trying to divert attention for how well things are beginning to look economically. There have been some really good signs lately. So between that and taking the pressure off of Trump, I, I think helps explain why, why McCarthy is likely to continue down this road. 
Great point about the economy. We know the uh, Federal Reserve uh, increased interest rates by a quarter percent uh, today as a way of, of making sure, trying to cool the economy down. And you're right. Republicans are running scared because they thought they would be running in 2024 on a bad economy. And Biden, to all those folks to say Biden isn't doing anything, check the papers today because the economy is doing much better than anyone uh, expected under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We are out of time. Thank you so much, Professor Fontroy and Katrina Robinson. Always a pleasure to see both of you. When we come forward, uh, we're going to talk about what's behind these new curriculum standards trying to gaslight us into believing that slaves gain some kind of skills as a result of being enslaved. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. A Republican group that opposes Donald Trump has unveiled an advertising campaign targeted to voters in early primary states, featuring voters who supported him in the past two presidential elections, but have now turned against him. This is in an effort to put questions of electability at the center of the GOP primary race. A portion of the Republican Party, perhaps 30 percent, supports the former president, but worries he could not win the White House. Now, this is according to Sarah Longwell, the group's executive director. Speaker Kevin McCarthy is under pressure from the hard right to take aggressive steps against the Biden administration. McCarthy suggested yesterday that the House was moving toward opening an impeachment inquiry against President Biden. As Republicans search through bank records and other documents hunting for damaging information about the first family. A deal for Hunter Biden to plead guilty to a pair of misdemeanor tax charges while avoiding prosecution on a gun charge hit a last minute snag with the judge in the case unexpectedly putting off her decision. The federal judge overseeing the case deferred a decision on approving the deal between Mr. Hunter Biden and federal prosecutors this afternoon. This is the latest twist in a politically charged case that seemed to have been sewn up just hours earlier. Rudolph Giuliani has admitted that while acting as a lawyer for former President Donald Trump, he made false statements in asserting that two Georgia election workers had mishandled ballots while counting votes in Atlanta during the 2020 election. The admission by Mr. Giuliani came in court papers filed yesterday as part of a civil defamation lawsuit that the two workers, Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, brought against Giuliani in federal court in Washington, D.C. in December of 2021. As the Republican Party has moved further to the right, the fringe has become the mainstream, swelling the ranks of the Freedom Caucus, but making it difficult for the group to stay aligned on policy and strategy. The rise of another hard right faction in the House calling itself the 20, including some members of the caucus and some who have long refused to join has raised questions in recent months about where the real power lies on the far right. Well, Harvard University is facing a federal civil rights inquiry over legacy admissions. This practice gives an advantage to applicants with family members who attended the school, and it overwhelmingly benefits white and wealthy applicants. The investigation comes weeks after the Supreme Court struck down the use of race-based affirmative action in college admissions. Coalition of booksellers and publishers filed a lawsuit in Texas yesterday seeking 
to block a recently passed law that would keep books deemed sexually explicit out of schools. The law, which is scheduled to take effect September 1, would require vendors to rate and evaluate books they sell or have previously sold to schools based on their depictions or portrayals of sexual conduct. Insufficient compliance from booksellers would bar them from doing business with public schools and subject them to open censure. In their complaint, the plaintiffs said that legislators themselves have expressed concerns about the sweeping language in the bill. They are concerned that the language could restrict access to classic works such as Shakespeare's, Romeo and Juliet, and even the Bible. Governor Abbott of Texas has aggressively supported and led initiatives to reshape public education in Texas geared towards Republican priorities, from the removal of books to restricting how educators can talk about race and America's history of slavery. Well, conservatives are on a mission to change K through 12 education, not just in Texas and not just in Florida, but in states all over the country. And one Christian college is at the center of these Republican efforts. Hillsdale College in Michigan is providing teacher training, textbook reviews, and a curriculum that celebrates American patriotism. Hillsdale, which has fewer than 1,700 students, but a $900 million endowment, gives out many of its resources for free. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time, and in this hour, we are talking about these uh, curriculum standards, new standards, new controversial curriculum standards enacted in Florida that will teach students in K through 12 that slaves somehow benefited from skills they learned during slavery. Uh, we're going to go behind the headlines and we're going to talk to a Florida state representative that has firsthand knowledge about how the Florida State Education Department uh, came up to this conclusion or developed this controversial theory that somehow uh, the brutality of slavery and the reality of forced labor somehow benefited those who were enslaved. And also joining me in this hour is also a African-American uh, history professor who gave a compelling uh, TED talk where he said that uh, white people should care about the whitewashing of black history in the same way that African-Americans uh, care about it. Uh, when we come forward, Professor David Eichardt, uh, who is an African-American studies professor at Vanderbilt and who previously taught at the University of Miami joins us and also Florida State House Representative the Honorable Michelle Rayner Goosby, uh, Goosby, I'm sorry, is here uh, to help us make sense of what's happening in Florida around uh, the uh, teaching of slavery to kids in public schools. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and I'm so happy to have with us in this hour Florida State House Representative Michelle Rayner Goosby and Professor David Eichardt, who teaches African-American studies at Vanderbilt and who was previously a professor at the University of Miami. 
both of these uh, really brilliant individuals are going to help us make sense of what is happening in Florida and how is it that there can be a curriculum developed that is going to teach school kids, students in public schools in Florida, that slaves somehow benefited from being enslaved. Uh, let me start with you, Florida uh, Representative Michelle Rayner Goosby. First of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. But this is such an important issue. And I wanted my uh, listeners and viewers to really understand what happened and how we got here. So can you just tell us, set the stage for us in terms of how Florida has even had the, you know, unmitigated gall, the audacity to develop a policy that is such a distortion of the reality of what slavery was like. Well, first, Reba, it's such an honor for me to be here with you as a civil rights practitioner myself. Um, I am a little bit fangirling a little <laughs> bit right now, but um, I so it is wonderful to be here. So how do we get here? I feel like in even the other question is in the words of Dr. King, where do we go from here? Right. Um, you know, I think that one, Ron, Ronald Dion, and I don't call him call him governor. This is this, Ronald Dion. This is who he's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he was a, a high school history teacher, he taught revisionist history with regard to uh, uh, the civil rights uh, or uh, uh, civil war and slavery. And, um, you know, I think he is leaning into his worst angels, right? And so for me, it's two things that I see happening, right? And I want to kind of level set with you. We have this attack on Black people, LGBTQ people, anybody that is not a white, Republican, cisgender man. But simultaneously, while the culture wars and all of this is taking up space, we have folks in Florida that cannot afford their property insurance. Uh, property insurance companies are pulling out of Florida. There are food uh, food apartheid areas in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, house, affordable housing is not a thing. Rent control and uh, has been preempted by the state. So meanwhile, as he's literally taking people's rights to exist, right? Mm -hmm. He's also then telling you through the Board of Education and legislation, not only am I going to take your right to exist, but I'm also going to tell you that you should not exist and we're going to erase your history. So this is really part and parcel, I really believe, of his very dangerous agenda. Um, and also why I think, you know, he's he's having this failed run for uh, presidency. Yeah. So, uh, Professor Icard, so, you know, Representative Gooseby says that this is a part of uh, who Ron DeSantis is. But how dangerous is it, not just for African-Americans, but for white folks? I know you gave a very compelling TED talk on why white people should care about the whitewashing of black history. Help us understand why that's important and how dangerous this policy of the Florida State Education Department is. You always you always ask the best questions. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the first thing that uh, pops to mind is January 6th, right? Um, we've seen, we, we came that close, uh, literally feet. There were feet separating, several feet separating the rioters uh, of, the, uh, of Congress there and Vice Pre- President Pence, 
who had with him, we learned later, uh, the suitcase and a Secret Service person that had the nuclear codes in it, right? We learned that he literally had, he was literally with someone who had the capability, partial capability of launching nuclear weapons, right? That that person always goes with either vice president or president, right? There's always mm-hmm. someone there. And that that person was with Pence. Pence was with his family and that it ha- it actually was a, a black police officer, a uh, federal uh, police officer, I believe, who redirected the mob away from Pence, allowing him uh, to escape. Imagine if they would have actually got their hands on Pence. Imagine if, Donald Trump were able to overturn, have overturned the election and thrown the United States of America, one of the most powerful economic, political, um, armed countries in the world, mm-hmm. overthrown that government and allowed Donald Trump to remain in the presidency. Imagine what that would have done to not just the United States of America, but to the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, the very house that many of these white supremacists were trying to protect would have been the very house that they would have burnt down. They would have destroyed the very thing, all this economic dominance and military dominance that has been established infrastructure that has been built on the backs of, of enslaved uh, Africans and other indigenous folks uh, would have imploded because Mm -hmm. We would have had a certain t- type of chaos and anarchy as a result of that, I am sure of. And so, yeah, the stakes are just as high here, if not higher for whites as it is blacks in terms of allowing white supremacy to run amok in the ways that it has. Yeah, so uh, th- thank you. And that is incredibly important. And uh, as we are watching hundreds of those insurrectionists on January 6th, beg for leniency, throw themselves mm. on the mercy of the court, uh, you know, make statements like we are, we were just following Donald Trump. And now we know that, you know, was, we were fo- sold a bunch of lies and we mm. believe the rhetoric as people's lives are being disrupted. If people are going to jail, lost jobs, lost, you know, relationships and family, uh, yes. Many of those people have expressed remorse and, you know, thank God they weren't able to effectuate their plan. Uh, but let me ask you this, uh, Representative Goosby, Kim Daniels, she serves in the Florida State Legislature with you. Is that correct? That is correct. So she's gotten a lot of attention uh, around what the Florida Board of Education has done. She's an African-American woman. She issued a statement saying that she rejects the controversial uh, standards and that she was never consulted and she would have, you know, ex- expressed her opposition. She, you know, she was appointed to the uh, task force by the governor. She, uh, I guess, you know, there's this video that's circulating around where she gave this fiery sermon called Thank God for Slavery. She mm. says it was taken out of context. She says she preached this 15 years ago. Uh, you know, she's an evangelist. She said the message was not about slavery, but about overcoming obstacles in life as a believer of Jesus Christ. And she kind of goes on and, you know, gives an explanation for why she says, thank God for slavery. But, uh, you know, how is the legislature feeling about Miss Daniels? Because she was on this committee. 
So I believe the Republicans are fine with her. Um, I will tell you that, um, you know, <laughs> and Ariva, of course you put me in this position, right? <laughs> this is my colleague. And I see our uh, professor laughing, um, you know, <laughs> Hey, um, this is the hour where we go behind the headlines. So listen, this is going behind the listen, headlines. Listen, listen, so I will tell you this. I'm unapologetically and unequivocally Black. My mother was a part of the USF8 that integrated the University of South Florida. Mm -hmm. Kids were watching, you know, Scooby-Doo. My mama had me watching Eyes on the Prize and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So with that, I will tell you that I, I have been aware of those comments I am appalled by those comments because there's just no, there's no, there, the, 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 how, how do you, how do you, uh, uh, how, how do you like even justify that, right? Um, I, I think that she has to answer to her constituents. She has to most certainly answer to Black folks about that. Um, I, you know, and as far as if she was or was not consulted, I, I am not aware I'm not on that task force because Ronald Dion will never appoint me to anything. Um, but, you know, I think that this is an opportunity to really draw a line in the sand. Um, and especially, you know, I, I, I tell my I tell my colleagues this a lot and, and folks in the community. Listen, I'm black first before I'm elected. Right. I am a movement attorney. I am of the people before I ever got elected. And this is the moment where our people need to see us standing in the paint. And uh, really making sure that we're advocating for them, because what we're seeing with these policies, it's not just that it's harmful rhetoric, but we, you know, we're grown. All of us that are talking now are grown. We know history. We can read books that aren't Umar Johnson and all of those things. Right. We can do that. But we have babies that are in school that literally are going to hear this harmful rhetoric. And what does this tell them? And so as far as Representative Daniels, you know, I'm going to let her her constituents uh, deal with her. And, um, you know, and I hope that she will forcefully make a statement about that. I don't I, I don't know how you back up from that because you said what you said. Right. Like you, you right. said what you said, because um, there's no way in any way that I would ever thank God for slavery. I would ever thank God for genocide and rape and torture and trafficking and uh, murder. I would never be able to do that because that's what really what the enslavement of black folks was. And so um, I can't standing in who I am and how I show up ever utter those words out of um, uh, my mouth. But, you know, she she's going to talk to her God about that and her constituents about that and figure out how that works for her. But this is a time, I think, for all black people. Um, and there's another black uh, person that is in the legislature that serves on this uh, committee. He is Haitian and he is a Republican and he systematically votes against the interests of black folks. This is the time where you got to decide who you're going to be because the white people have already show, showed us who they're going to be. So you got to decide who you're going to be. So there are two African-Americans on this committee. And like I said, I, I, Representative Daniels is trying to distance herself. What about the male, the Haitian? What's his name? Oh, of course. No, no. He's a, he's a MAGA. He's a, a, he's a Republican MAGA Republic. He's a Republican MAGA Republican. His name so is he's standing by the decision. Yes, representative. Okay, so he's Bernie not trying Jacques. to step away from. It. Let me let me read something to you, Professor. Uh, 
DeSantis was asked about the standards. He tried to distance himself, uh, but then he went on to say that it's true that some slaves developed highly specialized trades from which they benefited. It included mm-hmm. trades like shoemaking or tailoring and identify. Then so, two of the individuals on that education uh, panel went on to try to identify figures to support their you know, premise that slaves benefited from slavery. Uh, and they started naming people who, in fact, weren't enslaved, people who were born after slavery, uh, people like Ned Cobb, Louis Latimer, James Fortin. Uh, but a Fox host, co-host Jesse Waters, seized upon this moment And, uh, you know, he reiterated this, that there is historical fact that slaves did develop skills while they were enslaved and then use those skills as blacksmiths, uh, use them in agriculture, tailoring the shipping business to benefit themselves and their families. Once they were freed, he went on to say none of this is controversial and suggested that it was critics on the left who were demeaning black Americans Uh, And he said that, you know, learning these skills showed the resilience and the aptitude of the Mm. enslaved African-American, despite despite the brutal conditions in which they lived. That's a whole lot, Professor Icar, but I I want you to help us understand how dangerous this education committee that's developing this curriculum and they're giving as examples of people that benefited from slavery who weren't even slaves. So these people are not even competent. They they don't have the requisite competency to even develop a curriculum. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, imagine, if you will, if we were having this conversation about the Holocaust. And we said, well, you know, yeah, I know that all those people were killed. But, you know, there were some people who uh, when the Jews were gassed and they had to go in and extract, you know, silver and things from their from the bodies or whatever. You know, they became they became dentist and (laughs) later on used that skill to launch into this lucrative dentistry. can you imagine what the type of outcry would be, the audacity to take an atrocity which should bring about shame, an embarrassment that should make you uh, uh, contrite at the very least, but to it, it should be it should be a stain upon your cultural existence that this was something that your ancestors took part in. Hold that thought um, for me, Professor, because when we yes. come forward, I want you to finish uh, making this comparison because I think it's a, a very powerful comparison. I want to ask you, uh, Representative Goosby, about your Republican colleagues and how they are responding uh, in this moment. Stay with <laughs> us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and joining me in this hour is Florida State House Representative Michelle Rayner Goosby and Professor David Icar. He teaches African-American studies at Vanderbilt but he has taught in a couple of universities in Florida. He gave a very compelling TED talk a couple of years ago on why white people should care about the whitewashing of black Mm -hmm. history. Let me ask you this, uh, Representative Goosby. I saw, or I received a statement from uh, Senator Geraldine Thompson, a very thoughtful statement about how these standards that have been uh, developed are, uh, you know, should, are, 
blatantly wrong or false and why they even contravene Florida statutes that require that instruction be provided on African civilization before colonization and slavery. And she says that the focus of these standards totally uh, misses uh, an opportunity to teach about African-American civilization or African civilization before slavery. So we were getting very powerful statements, obviously from mm -hmm. folks like yourself, from Senator Thompson, but what are some of the moderate, I'm going to say moderate Republicans, if there are any in the Florida legislature, has any of the white folks, the, the, cons the less conservative, the more moderate Republicans, have they stood up and tried to push back on these new standards? Yeah, no, I haven't seen anything. In fact, one of them who tends to be moderate said, let's talk about the literacy rate of uh, of uh, students in Florida. And I, I tweeted today, does anyone want to tell him? You know, the Republicans have been in power since 1999. So if we want to talk about the Florida being 43rd in the nation when it comes to literacy of children. This is not a Democratic issue. This is the Republicans. This is the failed policies that y'all have had. So you know, it's so sad because these are the same people that will come find you on the House floor and be like, oh, Representative Rules, yeah, I just love you, I just love you, blah, 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 blah. And then you just love me, you just love me, you just love me, and yet you do all these things to harm me. Yeah, th th that's really disappointing. Uh, Professor Eichhardt, we've been having some conversations during the break, and, and you have expressed that what we are witnessing in this moment is different that this is next level. Help us understand, you know, why you are thinking that this is something different than anything we've ever seen as it relates to, you know, white supremacy trying to, or not trying to, but inserting itself in a way that uh, really uh, sets us back, African-Americans, particularly in this country, decades. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, uh, it, it, it's true. Um, as, as, as the more informed folks will will know, the uh, Daughters of the Confederacy started a uh, historical call, campaign called the Lost Cause um, after the Civil War, in which they tried to basically restructure uh, the Confederacy in the Civil War to make it look as if uh, the Civil War was not about slavery and that it was about uh, people fighting for their rights and fighting for the ability to have self-determination and turn in states' rights and those kind of things, and at the same time romanticizing slavery in the same ways that we see now. Like, slavery had its benefits, there were some bad parts, but mostly it was about people who are cooperating, who are learning skills, so on and so forth, and it gained a lot of traction. It's why people were flying the Confederate flag and saying that Confederate flag is about culture and not about racism and those kinds of things. Um, but what's different about now is that they had a counter narrative that was trying to dominate the particular kind of discourse on racism and slavery and black self-determination. And so there was a there was a there was an intellectual back and forth in this regard. What we're seeing now is uh, an awareness that there is they don't have the ability in terms of the intellect, in terms of the history, in terms of people's knowledge to be able to present a counter narrative to offset the very strong critiques that have now been established because of things like critical race theory, because of things like intersectionality, 
right? Because of African-American studies department, African-American scholars and those who are, you know, well-versed in the discourse who are offering these critiques of white supremacy. So now those counter-narratives like the lost cause, they just don't have the same type of currency or power that they once had. So now, instead of trying to construct the narrative, it's almost like the conservatives now have taken a, a club and decided, you know what, the way that we're going to rest power in this moment is literally to shut down the ability mm. to even have the conversation. We're not even going to let people talk about race or sexuality or any of these things that that challenge our dominance as white, straight men with in the middle class, right? We're going to make it illegal for you to condemn or critique white men. That's literally what we're talking about. We're literally going to make it illegal for you to voice opposition to our dominance. And that is scary because that's very different from the previous moment in which there was a competing narrative that you could interrogate and critique. They're literally trying to outlaw the ability to critique white supremacy. Yeah, and we see colleges like Hillsdale College in Michigan and other Christian colleges that have been teaching this, you know, celebrating American patriotism and, and teaching this notion that America is great, i.e., as you said, cisgender white men are great. Uh, those colleges are transporting that curriculum and those standards into these K through 12 schools, public schools in states like Florida and Texas and the governors in these states and legislatures, the Republican legislatures are eating it up. So oh, let me ask you this, uh, Representative Goosby, I know you, you uh, are going to leave us after this segment. Where do you go from here? It's a Republican controlled state house in Florida. You just told us they've been in control in Florida since 1999. Where possibly can Democrats go, what can you do to fight back against this erasure, against this distortion, against this whitewashing of Black history, which is American history? Well, one, I, I, before I deal with that, I want to pivot to the point that we talked about, you know, Hillsdale, you, we're, we're seeing what's happening with New College, right? New College has been a progressive bastion, a place where students who feel like they show up and identify in different ways are able to, to be present and express themselves and actually have what we call education to inducerate, to actually learn. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen that these very threatened men um, have decided that they don't want to do that. And, you know, when we think of, you know, in the words of Dr. King, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I think really the power lies within the people. Um, I've always mm. believed that. I've always believed that power is within uh, the people. Power is within folks rising up. So not just registering to vote in and in voter engagement, but really people organizing and mobilizing their communities. Them saying, you know, going to Miss Jenkins next door and saying, girl, did you hear what's going on? Did you hear what this man's doing? How do we also teach our own people? How do we teach our own students? How do we have those griots and, and, and folks that that oral history that's coming down in our community? So it's not only just a political answer, it's a community answer, a community answer that's based in community care and liberation as well. Mm. Let me ask you this before you leave. Val Demings told me that Florida lost uh, 
500,000 or so, and I could be slightly off with the number of Democratic voters over like the last decade or so, uh, which is why Ron DeSantis is governor, why he just, you know, won second term, you know, 20 percentage points. So, you know, some would say a widely popular governor. What is happening in Florida with the Democratic Party, with efforts to win back Democratic voters? Because Florida doesn't have to be this ruby red. No. And, you know, I see that we we saw in the last election that folks stayed home, right? Democrats stayed home. Um, and I think now we are at a position where we are seeing a, a party and a people that are empowered to push back against it. They've saw that they've seen the harm that's happening. You know, we have uh, the Democratic Party has, uh, you know, has, has started a voter registration drive as early as today. Um, and we're seeing that that energy come back to the party. And so for me, while we have folks that uh, stayed home, my question is, what are we giving them to vote for? Who are we right. giving them to vote for? Because right. if you can't tell me, especially Black folks, you can't tell me, just vote for me because I'm a Democrat. No, baby, what are you giving me to vote for? Right. Yeah, I hear you. And, and that's a legitimate question. But we also need to point out to people that not voting for even the worst Democrat for, for, and allowing a Republican to win because Agreed. these aren't your mama's uh, Republicans. This is a 100% agree. Of Republicans. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, I get into this debate with folks all the time. They're whining and carping. Biden and Harris ain't done nothing. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, OK, try Trump. And Pence again. So if you think you upset with Biden and Harris, think about what this country would be like if Donald Trump is in office again. I mean, we it's not even something I think we can imagine the kind of harm and destruction that he would do to the country, as you just described, uh, Professor Icard, but to African-Americans. We uh, I know you got to leave us, uh, Representative Goosby. Thank you so much. Anything that we can do uh, in California, in, you know, the rest of this country to support the efforts of uh, Floridians and yourself to fight back against, you know, this kind of tyranny, which is what I'll call it. Uh, we are here for you. When we come forward, uh, Professor Eicher, you're going to have to give us some real life solutions, what we can do in this moment. Uh, to fight what is happening, not only in Florida, but in states around this country as they try to erase uh, the history of African-Americans. Stay with us, KBLA Talks 1580. We are back, and Professor David Eichardt, who teaches African-American studies at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, and who was a professor at the University of Miami, uh, is still with us as we're grappling with how we as a community respond to the Florida State uh, Education uh, Committee's recommendations around how slavery will be taught both in middle school and in high school. We haven't talked about this yet, uh, Professor, but one of these standards has to do about how race riots, race massacres will be taught to high school students. And this kind of, uh, you know, this, this th there's wrong on both sides approach. So not only mm. teaching about the massacre, but also now there has to be instruction on what the African-American person did. So if you try to defend yourself from being lynched, you know, now we got to spend time talking about you as a violent potential criminal because you were trying to, you know, fight off your lynchers. Uh, the Representative Goosby said this isn't just about politics, but if this isn't about changing 
these state houses, what is it about? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great question. And I in some ways I want to kind of circle back to this question about um, getting more people out to vote and, you know, the what's in it for me dynamic among you know black folks. And I think it's a it's a complicated question, but it's one that we definitely need to think about and strategize about, because the only way that we have seen in the past for us to advance or to uh, combat these types of movements, and this is in some ways not new, Mm -hmm. right, Um, is to show up and show out, right, to push back, to let folks know that you can't just get away with trying to rewrite history. We're not just going to stand by and and allow you to do it. We're going to march. We're going to protest. We're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make our physical presence known. We're going to make our economic presence known. The Montgomery bus boycott, for example, right? We're going to make you feel our presence and let you know that this type of like whitewashing, this type of strong arming of white supremacy is not going to be taken lightly or with us laying down and just allowing you to walk all over us. And so I do, with, with that with that in mind, I do think that it is important that the Democratic Party not just present us with the negative alternative to say that, well, you need to vote for this person because look how much worse it will be if you allow the other guy in. Uh, the problem with that calculus for so long is that we end up voting for the 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 right the the best of the the of the two evils right we go okay we can either pick this group that is going to give us a lot of rhetoric and where we're going to have meager advantages versus this group that clearly is anti-black and and has no like investment in our well-being uh, whatsoever you have a lot of folks a lot of black folks who in their economic and social situations actually don't see a lot of movement whenever the parties change in terms of advantages that that one party makes to them. And even though um, it is true that Democrats have done so much more for black folks than have the conservatives in this moment, um, it is also true that many of these Democrats lean on that uh, worst of two evils dynamic to right, generate black turnout. And then once black folks give them the votes, then they disappear on the legislative level or they don't put that same kind of fight when it comes to like ensuring that we get the kind of health care that we need. We get the type of uh, prenatal care that we need. We get the type of support that we need in terms of our communities. Look at Jackson, Mississippi and their water crisis and the water crisis that has been going on in Flint, Michigan for how long? And then we see them billions of dollars over to Ukraine and other to fight other people's wars. And we can't, you know, supply our own people in these predominantly black areas with, with I, drinking water. I, right. I hear you. Let me just stop you for a minute, Professor Eicher. I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree and I disagree. I mm. agree that, you know, to motivate someone to vote, it, it, you can't just say vote for me because I, you know, the worst, the other guy is worse than me. But right. in this moment, we're in, this is like an existential crisis that we're in. And the Republican Party is no longer the Republican Party that 
we could count on to not be necessarily, you know, anti-Black. They weren't going to necessarily do anything to help us, but they weren't as ruthless as this party is now. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. has been so clearly infiltrated by white supremacists. And maybe they were always there, but let's say they've become more emboldened. So yeah. these choices now, you know, it really does come down to that. And then you look at Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, as a student of history, Joe Biden has accomplished more in his three years as president than most presidents ever accomplished. And right. despite that, Black folks, I, I posted something about Emmett Till and the, the, the monuments, and someone posted, several people, Black folks said, these are some crumbs that Biden is throwing to Black people. And I said, wait a minute, this isn't crumbs? Kataji Brown Jackson is not a crumb. Right. Kamala Harris is not a crumb. The lowest right. Black unemployment rate in this in our era, probably ever, is not a crumb. The money from you know, the HEROES Act, the CARES Act, none of that's a crumb. So even when you have a president doing as much as presidents can do, fighting against these folks who are out to destroy our democracy, there are people who still say it's not enough. And I, I don't, it's not perfect. There is so much more that right. I would like to see. But you and I, as mature voters, know that there are limitations in our governmental structure, our three, you know, our checks and balances, the president can only do so much. He tried to give student loan relief and the white folks right. said, oh, hell no. Right. <laughs> the Supreme right. Court said, oh, hell no. So right. I think we have to remind people that, yeah, I, I wish these guys were better, but these guys are really better than what you will get if we allow, and this is why we have Florida and Texas, because we were asleep at the switch and now Republicans control these state houses mm -hmm. because we weren't watching. We were asleep at the switch, which is why we have this 6-3 majority conservative court, because we haven't, as Dems, paid attention to the federal court system in a way that Republicans have. So I, I, there's time to, I think, debate about, you know, bad Democrats. But this ain't the time because but the that's but, but that's but here's the problem. That's that argument that you're making as cogent as it is about this is not the time. That is always the argument that literally is historically. That's always the argument that we make. It's like, oh, wait, we got to put this off because this is not the time. Well, see, the problem is. If you are a politician. And you're doing all these things for your constituency. And your constituency are not feeling it. It is your responsibility as a politician to make sure that they do see that. But that what is I'm why saying, Professor Eichert, you can't because of the system. No matter the, the most progressive Democrat, AOC, you know, mm -hmm. name them. They are confined, constricted by a Republican Party. The Republicans in the House right now, Absolutely. rather than focus on policies that improve the lives of Americans, they want to. They're searching for dirt to impeach right. Joe Biden. No, no question. No, so I, I'm AOC not can only I'm not, do. I'm not disagreeing with you. The, the, the system but, is but, not set up. I guess but is the here, point. But here's we what we got a yeah, problem here, with our system. We do. I want, but I want to point out a particular attitude, and I think this is very important. And I really, because I don't want us to miss this, because I think 
you know, as I get older, I realize because, you know, I'm 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 coming from a generation of just pragmatism. You're like, look, this is right. You know, Eat what, that Professor Eichert, I am so sorry. I'm sitting you and I are having this most incredible discussion. We are out of, right time. out of time. I got to give the mic over to my colleague, Robin Ayers. The Raw Report yes. is coming up next. You and I, you are coming back. We're going to continue this discussion. I so appreciate you. I appreciate your views. I'm so Indeed. much smarter as a result of spending this hour Likewise. with you. Likewise. And...